Uh, this has really been a tough series. As Cole and I has, have talked about it, it has been a tough series to present. And if it's been tough to present, then I know it has been really tough to endure, <laughs> tough to listen to. I know that's got to be true. Because we've been looking at something that this whole relationship between what our culture says is, is right and then versus what God says is right. And the truth is the two cannot be blended. They are not blendable. We really have to decide and choose which version of this truth are we going to go with. And, and we can't. We do have the option. We can kind of pick and choose and say, I want some of this and some of this and some of this. And we can also kind of in our minds create a God that says this part's okay, this is okay, and the things I kind of like, he's okay with that, and he's okay with that. And we can kind of pick and choose what a, a kind of God that kind of promotes the kind of morality that we think the way things should be, even related to physical relationships between humans. The problem with that is that a created or imagined God that we could come up with and create, that's not at all who Jesus is. And that's not what he taught or not what Jesus described in the New Covenant. So when it comes down to it, this is just for me, this is where I have landed on this topic. When it comes down to it for me, for Harley, I'm simply going to just kind of go and be tilted in the direction fully with what history tells us is the person who predicted his own death, died, predicted his resurrection, and pulled all of that off, and that was Jesus. So I'm going to land squarely on the side of Jesus, even with things that I don't really understand. I'm going to go with Jesus. I'm going to go with what he taught and with what he believed, regardless of what the culture is telling me and regardless of what even a government would tell me, regardless of what the right-winged conservatives would tell me and the left-wing liberals, what they would tell me, regardless of any of that. And honestly, really, regardless of what other churches say and religious organizations say, at the end of the day, I'm just going to follow Jesus, and I'm going to go with his teachings, and I'm going to do my best to believe what he believes. And what Jesus believes about morality and about this whole topic of physical relationships between humans, it is so tough in light of what our culture believes today. So as we begin, I just want you to imagine with me. Let's just take a leap. Because I realized this morning that we don't all who are here, we don't all agree maybe with what Jesus says about that. So for the, for the sake of this discussion this morning, let's just say, just imagine that you did agree with what Jesus says and with what he believes and what he taught about morality. Let's say today, this morning, just for a few minutes, let's say that we were agreeing with him and that we have together maybe decided that we're going to go with him and what he believes and what he teaches, including all these topics we've talked about related to gender and, and uh, men and women and physical relationships, related to how we talked about in one of the previous weeks that, that God created man specifically with an XY chromosome and he created a female specifically with an XX chromosome and how that assignment somehow 
was made by God, and that assignment seems to be something that really moves on into eternity. It's not temporary. And how Jesus describes in the New Covenant that marriage is defined in terms of one man and one woman, and that all things that are related to physical relationships between humans is only to be enjoyed within that marriage. And it's not supposed to be before marriage, and it's not supposed to be outside of that marriage with another person. And this physical relationship is not just included uh, with things that are physical. In fact, as we find out in the New Covenant, it also includes what we think. Now, this opens it up really big, what we think about those physical relationships in our minds. And so even those thoughts are designed to be reserved within that marriage and only about and involving one spouse. So that's a big plateful of us to imagine. So let's imagine this morning that we do agree with that, even if you don't, because we're not going to make you sign anything. (laughs) Just imagine with me that you agreed with Jesus. So if that is what Jesus taught and believed, and we see that in the New Covenant, then that brings up, so here's where we are today, that brings up so many questions. Man, what do we do? And what do we do with that information if that's what Jesus believes? So what do we do here at the church in Malvern? And this morning, Cole is with our partner church, Stuttgart Harvest Church, and he's teaching over there. And what are they going to do with this information if that's really what Jesus taught and believed? And we're going to say that we believe that. How do we interact in a world that so clearly doesn't believe that? How do we interact and respond to real people? So we're not talking about imaginary people. These are real people with real stories. And they have real hurts. They have real fears, real emotions. These are real people. But they don't happen, some of them don't happen to believe in that kind of Jesus. You see, we're not just talking about ideas. We're not just talking about things. We're talking about real people. And so my question is, what do we do? How do we respond? How do we respond to a man? A man who has an X and a Y chromosome? A man maybe who has is struggling with gender dysphoria. Uh, this is a real thing. A man who maybe, maybe he has struggled with this for his entire life. As far back as his memories go in his brain, he struggled with this. So this is not new. This is not something that he's just thought of. It's pretty much as far back as his memory goes. What would happen if that man who has an X and a Y chromosome if he chooses to dress as a woman and live as a woman. And what if he were to come up to you and ask, hey, um, I heard you go to the church in Malvern. Could I come to your church? What would you do? What would your answer be? And what, let's not stop there. What about the person, let's take a verse. What about the person who doesn't just dress as their opposite gender? What about the person who's taking medication and... And maybe they've even already had 
permanent, non-reversible surgery. You see, this is a real person. It's not just an idea. They have real stories, real hurts. They have real emotions. They actually love people. They have people in their lives. They actually live. How would the church respond to that soul? And beyond that, how should the church respond to that soul? That is a huge question. That is an enormous question. And you might be thinking to yourself right now, you might be thinking, Harley, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know how the church should respond. I have no idea. I, I don't know how they should respond because it is a real person and they have a real life. And they have very, very, very different views and beliefs than mine. I'm not sure how we should respond. Maybe you worked with that person. Maybe you worked with them. Maybe you knew them since high school. And maybe they've asked you, hey, could I go to your church? What would you do? Um, uh, you know, um, I really don't think you'd like those people. <laughs> um, they're kind of a bunch of jerks over there. I, I'm not sure you really want to be around them. I, I don't even know why I go. I don't know why I put up with them. Bunch of weirdos. I mean, have you met the pastors? One of them is goo-goo crazy over the Razorbacks. And the other one, he thinks he's some kind of Bob Marley guy. I don't know what his deal is. It's ridiculous. No, I, I don't think you want to go there. In fact, I, I'm not even sure I'm going back. You know, we're talking about real people. It's not a talking point or a discussion point or just an idea or a concept. How are we? As a church, how are we going to follow Jesus? And how are we going to believe what he believed and teach what he taught and what Jesus believed? So how are we going to respond to that person? Or what about a teenager? A teenager who maybe is saying, you know what, I'm, I'm not male. And they may be saying, I'm also not female. They, they just are. And that's what they say. And again, we're talking about a real person who has real feelings and real emotions and real life experiences, real fears and real worries. How do we, as a church, respond? Or maybe, maybe the person who's attracted to both sexes. And they're maybe even in a relationship right now with two different people of different sexes. How does the church respond to that person? When they don't agree with God's view of physical relationships. What about the person who's solely attracted to the same sex? And they may even be in a long-term relationship with someone of the same sex and maybe even married to them. So how do we, the church, respond to that? Here's a good question. How do you respond to that? And is your response the same as the church response? And if those responses are different, then why are they different? That's a good question. Why are they different? Should they be different? Why or why not? Do you say 
to someone at work or at school, you know, it's your choice, and I can live with it. It's not my choice, but I respect your choice. But I don't think you should go to my church because I'm not sure that they would. I'm not sure how they would, would respond. Maybe you're tell them, you know what? I've heard of churches. I've heard of churches that, that say that that's great and it's okay. Maybe you should go there. <laughs> Maybe you should go find that church. Have you Googled it? I bet Google could. Siri, she's really smart. I bet Siri could help you find it. I mean, I've heard of them. I bet Google Maps would pull you right to the parking lot. Well, what about this? What about someone who's not married, but they're still involved in a physical relationship? What about them? And what about the person that maybe is married, but they can't stay away from pornography? They watch it, they imagine it, they think about it. What about the person who cheats on their spouse? What about the person who undresses the co-workers in their mind? Friends, strangers, people just that they pass in the store? What about that person? You see, the list of people that we're talking about is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's a list that according to Jesus and the standard that we've talked about, that he presents, all of these people that we've mentioned, they're missing the standard. So how does the church respond to them and this growing list of people? Before we go any further, I just uh, give you a side note here. Hang on to your armrests because it's going to get worse. In the New Covenant, I want to give you an actual list, an actual list. We find this in 1 Corinthians 6, and I'm going to read part of this. Bryce will have it on the screen for you, and then we're going to just do the rest of the verse, the passage, in list form. Verse 9 says, Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? And Paul says, don't fool yourselves. And then, after he says that, Paul gives us a very specific list of those people. And the first on the list, he says, sexual sin, which actually includes everything that we have talked about in this series. So that catches it all. And then, of course, there's male prostitutes. Ah. I think they're probably at home sleeping. (laughs) And then, of course, there's homosexuals. And you might think to yourself, ah, see, I knew it was on the list. I knew it was there. And he goes on. Thieves. Wait. Thieves? Exactly how much do you have to take in order to be considered a thief? He goes on. Greedy people. Ooh. You mean like a workaholic and people who pretty much want more and more and more? Drunkards. The list is getting bigger. Drunkards. Have you ever had too much to drink? I mean, maybe enough that you shouldn't drive? Ooh, I wish he hadn't have said that. Maybe the abusive people. That's on the list. There's all kinds of abuse. There's physical abuse, but there's also emotional abuse. Have you ever manipulated anyone emotionally to get an outcome that you wanted? And then he says, people who cheat people. 
they do something that somehow leaves them with the advantage, the better end of the deal, and someone else with a worse deal. That's a pretty big list. But Paul doesn't stop there. In 1 Timothy, in the letter he wrote to that guy, Timothy, he has another list. You want to hear this list? Here's this list. People who kill their parents. I think we're okay. Other murderers might be okay. Sexually immoral. Oh, there's that one again. Homosexuality. Oh, aha! There it is again. I knew it was on there. Here's a big one. Slave traders. <laughs> Maybe not. And then he keeps the list going. We're not done yet. Liars. Have you ever told your child their drawing was good? <laughs> Have you ever told someone their baby was adorable? It looks like his bottle's filled with vinegar. He's shriveled up like a prune. Did you ever, did you ever pretend you didn't hear something when you actually did? Did you ever pretend that you didn't really know that that's the way they wanted you to do it, but you were going to do it the way you wanted to, so you just pretended you didn't hear or understand? But you did. You just didn't want to do it their way. He goes on. He's not done. Promise breakers. Oh, this is a big one. Have you ever promised through good and bad till death do you part and you're still breathing and they're still breathing somewhere <laughs> but you're not together anymore oh I wish he wouldn't have gone there have you ever promised that you would get that done by the end of the year don't elbow anybody and it's two years later have you ever promised, oh, I'll never do that again? And you have, again, many times again. But he's not done. If for some slim chance that we missed you <laughs> and you're not on that list in any way, Paul does something miraculous here. He says, and anything else, <laughs> anything else that contradicts the wholesome teaching that comes from the good news, boom. Everyone living is on the very same list. Everyone. God places all of these together on the same list. Now, let me ask you a question. How does the church respond to everyone on that list? How should the church respond to everyone on that list? You see, we're all on that list. Just to make it a little worse, Matthew, who was one of the early disciples of Jesus, one of the apostles who followed him, from city to city, town to town, countryside to countryside. 
Matthew was a professional. He paid fine attention to detail. And Matthew, when he writes his, uh, his biography of Jesus, Matthew includes, in chapter 1, Matthew includes the family tree of Jesus. Now, some of the other writers do as well, and they take other approaches, but I want to use Matthew's approach this morning because Matthew takes a unique approach. Matthew includes some women in the family tree of Jesus, and this is interesting to me because in that time, the first century, rarely, rarely, almost never would they include women in the family tree, but Matthew chose to. He included women in the family tree of Jesus, but let me show you the women he chose to include. He included Tamar in the family tree of Jesus. I don't have time to tell you the story. I just can tell you this. Tamar, her claim to fame, Tamar pretended to be a prostitute so she could trick someone into sleeping with her so she could get pregnant. And Matthew chose to include her, list her name in the family tree of Jesus. She's not the only one. He also included the name of Rahab, who didn't pretend to be a prostitute. She was a prostitute, a real prostitute. Before she started following God, she was a prostitute. That was her life, her career. And Matthew listed her name in the genealogy of Jesus. There was another one. He listed Bathsheba. Her claim to fame, strangely enough, was a bath. <laughs> and Using that bathtub as a tool, she wasn't the only one responsible, but I'm just telling you the story, uh, part of the story. Bathsheba was a married woman who had an affair with a man who was also married, and the result of that affair, she got pregnant, and then they kind of conspired to have her husband killed. That's Bathsheba, and Matthew included her in the genealogy of Jesus. They're all listed by name in the genealogy of God himself. Now let me ask, how should the church respond to them? And my answer is this. We seek them because Jesus seeks them. We love them because Jesus loves them. And as people are brought into a relationship with Jesus, we begin growing more and more and more like Jesus. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand but I do have a question for you just for the inside of your life. Are you like Jesus right now? And I think if we're honest, I'll speak for myself. My answer is no. I am so not like Jesus. My first 
thoughts are not like his. My actions are not enough like his. My responses to life and to people are not enough like his. So my answer for me would have to be no, I'm not there yet. How does Jesus deal with me? As soon as I decided, because I have decided to be a follower of Jesus, to submit my life to him and say, it belongs to you. It doesn't belong to me anymore. So what does Jesus do with a life that chooses to submit themselves to him? Does he automatically, instantly come in and make you like Jesus? To where you think like him and you act like him and you talk like him and you behave like him? He might do that for you, but I promise you he has not done that for me. And if, you've know, if you know me at all, then you're like, yeah, you're right, Harley. You're nothing like Jesus. <laughs> he is going to be changing and rearranging and working in my life for the rest of my life this side of heaven. Because if you look at Jesus... And then you look at me, I'm nothing like Jesus. He's got a lot of work to do. So we keep growing. We keep submitting. One struggle at a time, one challenge at a time, one day at a time, slowly beginning to believe what Jesus believes, to teach what Jesus teaches, living more and more and more how Jesus lived. I think the truth is this, following Jesus is messy. Following Jesus is messy because lives are messy. Now, if there are not messy lives inside of the church, We'll just say this church. We'll talk about other churches. If there are not messy lives inside of the church in Malvern and also messy lives inside of Stuttgart Harvest Church, if messy lives are not walking into this building where the church gathers, if there are not messy lives here, then the church is simply pretending. And they're just pretending that they're not messy. They're just pretending that they have it all together. They're just pretending that they're loving the way Jesus loves and living the way Jesus lived. Because, friends, there were messy lives all around Jesus, even deep into his family tree. The only life without a mess, was his. But he lived his life around and he sought out the messes in other people's lives because he is the only hope for a soul in this world. And he died by choice because of our messes. And only he can lead me out of my mess. And only he can lead you out of your mess. And so from those lists that we read, 
those lists that included liars and thieves and people who lust, people who leave God's plan for a physical relationship between humans, people who struggle with gender dysphoria and same-sex attraction, something on that list described every one of us. And Paul then takes that list, and here's what he said next in verse 11. Some of you were once like that. He says, some of you that he's speaking to, some of you were like each one of those things I named. But you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. He says, some of you once were. And you know what he's also saying in that? I was there too. We once were. But does that mean that every struggle we have in life and every temptation is going to be 100%? We're going to be right. We're going to get it right all the time. Every decision we make, everything we say, everything we do. From that point forward. No, because he goes on to say, you were made right, were instantly made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But do you know what happens for the rest of our lives through his spirit, the spirit of God? He begins to go to work inside of our lives, making changes. He begins to work on my priorities, the things I value in life, the place I put them in the order in my life. And he goes in and begins to work. And I promise you this, he has a lifetime, a Harley's lifetime of work to do inside of Harley. One day at a time, moment by moment, for the rest of my life. And Paul looks at them and says, some of you were on this list and Jesus is changing your lives one struggle at a time from the woman who was caught in adultery and dragged before the feet of Jesus she was on that list that other woman that Jesus sought out who had a really messy life Failed marriage after failed marriage after failed marriage. About five marriages total had been blown to smithereens. And so she gave up on that and just started living with guys. That lady, she was on this list. And today the person struggling with same-sex attraction, the person struggling with attraction period or gender dysphoria, they're on that list. And me and you, somehow, somewhere, we are on that list as well. And so we don't pick and choose for God who he's going to love and not love. Because as we understand in the new covenant, he loves. So we don't pick and choose. We don't pick and choose who God is willing to save. And we don't pick and choose who God is willing to love. Clearly. God seeks us all. And clearly, only he can save us. And only he can change us from the inside out, little by little, over the rest 
of our lives. Listen to how Jesus himself describes it. Matthew wrote this as well. He recorded it. Matthew 18, he recorded what Jesus said. Verse 12, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? And Jesus says, well, naturally, won't he leave the 99 others on the hills and go search for the one that's lost? And if he finds it, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over that one more than over the 99 that didn't wander away. Verse 14, Jesus says in the same way, it is not my heavenly Father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. And there we have Jesus, who that very moment was in the process, and still today, of leaving the 99. And he goes out and he looks for and searches for that one, that messy, that beat-up life of no count, unloved and unwanted and doesn't fit in, lost and hurting sheep. And he still is today. And that sheep was me. And that sheep was you. And that sheep is them. All of them. He seeks them. He loves them. That's why we seek them. And that's why we love them. Because he is the only hope for every soul in this world. And I simply ask you to do this this week. Will you talk with God about how you have been included on that same list? Will you have a conversation with God this week about that? Will you talk with God this week about seeking who he seeks and loving who he loves. And will you have a conversation with God about allowing God to sort out all of our messes in this life in his timing, in his way, as we choose to follow him? Will you have that conversation with God? Let's pray. God, I was that one. And God, I just ask that somehow, some way, myself and the other folks of the church in Malvern and Stuttgart Harvest Church, that we may all be part of many, 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 many other lives being found by you. And I ask Jesus that you would show us how to do it. I ask that you would help us respond to the world around us like you. 
and love the world around us like you. May we not push people further away from you, but may we walk them with grace and love and, yes, truth. May we walk them to you where you can change their life for the rest of their lives like you are doing in ours today. And Jesus, we ask all of these things in your name. And all we have left to say is so be it. Amen.